Listener discretion advised. What do teens and people who become radicalized online have in common? Now we're gonna be talking about things that are important, but upsetting, if not horrific. You're listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. Welcome. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. So what do teens and people who become radicalized online have in common? Right now, you're probably thinking, what? <laughs> what? And you don't want to believe that there could be any, any similarity, anything that connects them. Well, there is. And what it is, is both teens and people who become radicalized over the internet become brainwashed to commit suicide. Now, I'm going to explain this further, but first let me just gen introduce the generalized concept of what I'm going to talk about, which is how terrorism is impacting kids' lives all over the world a lot more than we think. Now, it's understandable, and I'm sure you've, you know, it's clear that kids in the Middle East in places like Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan where there's active combat uh, are of course affected every day by seeing the horrors of war. And there's uh, a family that was um, interviewed uh, on the Australian Dateline show that is a great example, well, a tragic example of what I'm talking about. Now this is a family where there's um, a five-year-old boy named Shadi who has an older sister and brother and a younger sister. And they're living in this, this war zone where uh, children are sold as sex slaves, there are suicide bombings going on, there's blood, guts, and gore, torture, mutilation, and death all around them. There are signs, for example, that these kids see, uh, ads that say things like, deflowered slave for sale, age 13. This was an ad in an online jihadi marketplace. Body, slim, tall, price, $9,000. I mean, this, this isn't like on, <laughs> on a black market. I mean, it's right out there. So there's this family um, that had an experience that, of course, that, that it's, for me, when I read about this, I found it totally unbelievable. Of course, it is true, but it just shows the extent. I mean, we know there are camps in terror-stricken countries. We know there, that, that terrorists, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, have camps where they teach kids to become fighters, to become suicide bombers. Um, at very young ages. This has gone even further. This family, it's, uh, the girl was, was 11, her brother Fadi was nine, and Shadi, as I mentioned, were five. And they were captives of a terror group for two years. And one of their horror stories, probably their worst horror story, was when ISIS militants forced the three of them to dismember a captive prisoner. The militant the, said to them, want to one of them, you cut off a foot, to another one, you cut off an arm, and to another one, um, to Shadi, they said, 
you slash his face with a knife. Otherwise, I'll take you away from your mother and kill you all. So the older sister says, we were scared to refuse. We were each given a machete. I had to cut his hand off. I did it. Um, Fadi had to cut his feet off. And Shadi had to cut his face with a knife. And they believed that the man died when Shadi stabbed him in the eye. So what does that do <laughs> to children, little children like that? I mean, where they turn them into direct killers, like it's one thing, it's bad enough to be training kids to become suicide bombers. You know, for example, there was a child who was taught to um, go to a wedding, do you remember, in Turkey um, a few months back, and he with, with um, a bomb attached to him. And uh, it's not clear how much he knew about what was going to happen, but, you know, he set the bomb off and it exploded and lots of people were killed and injured. That's bad enough. But to have children, five, nine, and 11, actually dismember a body, a living person, well, maybe he was dead before they dismembered him, that I don't know, but it was bad either way. It's, it's the, the impact on a child's psyche is, there are no words to describe it. I mean, horrific, yes, but it's just traumatic, yes, but it just changes them. And in fact, it did change Shadi, the five-year-old. Um, he, uh, the, the sister again talks about this, and she said, one day Shadi held a knife to our little sister's throat. Uh, he would have cut off her ear if my mother hadn't stopped him. He said, I'll cut her throat. She's mine. Now, at another time, he almost set fire to the tent. Um, the little sis the sister, the older sister explained, my little sister was asleep and smoke was coming out. And Shadi said, we, uh, we had to burn the place down like Isis said. So they are brainwashed by Isis to do the most horrific, horrific kinds of things. And, you know, it, it made me think, it made me wonder uh, how many, what would be the treatment for these people, these children? And the treatment, you know, obviously is very intensive psychotherapy. But it would, how many, so I started wondering, how many psychiatrists would it take uh, 24 seven to stay with these children to try to uh, help them process all the horrible things they have seen and that they have been involved in themselves that they have been forced into. I mean, you know, there is no answer. It's an impossible number. Uh, there's no way to, to treat all the, 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 the number of children who have been impacted by the horrors of terrorists in the Middle East. I mean, yes, I would like to think that maybe we could do group therapy, and, and um, which of course isn't as good as individual therapy, but it's something, and maybe at some point when, when, it, when and if it's safe enough there to do such groups, um, certainly one could try, but you know, and I know, that the vast majority are not going to get help. And instead, their lives are changed forever. And um, what happens is when children are forced, like in, in these, this example, when they were forced to, um, to dismember 
a, uh, a captive, a prisoner, it causes them to want to uh, identify with the aggressor. In other words, the ISIS militant was the powerful one who was threatening them and making them do this. And so it can have the effect, not on all children, but it can have the effect, as it apparently did on Shadi, to want to identify with the aggressor, to want to feel as powerful as the ISIS um, militant by then doing things, you know, still being brainwashed. I mean, obviously no five-year-old child, wherever they live, it is not, no five-year-old child, unless they were psychotically ill, but for most five-year-old children do not want to um, cut off the ear of their little sister. And yes, there is such a thing as sibling rivalry, and, you know, he might have been jealous of her, but this is not the kind of thing that happens in the average family. But because he was, his innocence was stolen, and because he wants to feel, well, because he thinks he needs to do these kinds of things to please ISIS, and he's terrified of ISIS, or any other terrorists, um, and because he wants to feel as powerful as they are, because he felt so helpless in having to help to dismember the prisoner. And not only that, but what made it even worse is that he believes, and it might not, it may, might well not be true, but you know, if the prisoner died right after he um, struck him in the eye, even though that could have been a quit, I mean, you know, there were other things, obviously he was bleeding to death from the other things that were cut off. But, but what's important is that if this little child, if Shadi, the five-year-old, believes that he was the one who put the final blow to this prisoner, that is gonna have the most powerful impact. So those are the kinds of things going on in the Middle East. Um, but it's not just the Middle East where children's lives are being impacted by terrorism. There is a new, relatively new phenomenon. And now I'm getting back to the question that I posed at the beginning of the show. What do teens and people who become radicalized online have in common? It's all about the blue whale challenge. Now you may or may not have heard yet about that, about the blue whale, but I will tell you about it and then explain the similarities between teens, between being brainwashed over the internet, whether you're a teen or someone who then becomes a homegrown terrorist. The blue whale challenge is an internet game, so to speak. It's not a fun and games kind of game, but it is something that was started a few years ago by a man in Russia, a young man in Russia named Philip Budikin. And um, he, was a, he was a sick puppy. And he started being a sick puppy because he had a mother who barely had time for him. She would leave in the morning at five and not come home until late at night and make him dinner. And so she, he felt abandoned by her. And he then, when he was going to university, ended up being expelled, although it isn't clear, I haven't been able to find why he was expelled, but clearly it must have had to do with his sick puppiness. He was um, an outcast, and so, and obviously angry at women, and he used whatever um, knowledge he had about psychology, whatever he had gathered before he was kicked out, um, to figure out this, how to manipulate t 
teens online, especially young girls, and that would have been especially young girls because of his anger towards his mother. And um, he would learn, he figured out how to manipulate them to kill themselves. And he is now in prison. And this, of course, this game that I'll describe is malicious and sick. But what's even sicker and sadder is that now that he's in prison, young teen girls are sending him love letters. So even beyond, um, and presumably these are not the girls who played his game or they would have committed suicide. So it's other girls who he, you know, the publicity, he obviously got tons of publicity in Russia um, when, when he was arrested and for having killed there. It's hard to have an accurate estimate, but I've read that as many as 130 teen suicides have been attributed to him. Now, how is it, what does this have to do with terrorism? <laughs> and again, how, what does this have to do with people online um, who become radicalized? It's because teens who are, and the people who go online and who ultimately end up being, becoming radicalized, both groups of people are feeling hopeless uh, about their life and about the world. They're feeling lonely. They're feeling sad, depressed, isolated, confused. They're in this very, uh, this very strange state. They're looking for something. They're looking for something to make their life better or purposeful or to end their life. And when they, whether they find a, um, a terrorist group who tells them, now I'm not talking about the teens, I'm talking about the people who end up being radicalized online, the grown-ups. Well, well, actually, I should, um, there are teens, come to, I should mention, um, not as many as grown-ups, but there are teens who have become radicalized enough, if not, uh, and I'm talking about in America and other, this, this game has gone beyond Russia. It's now in America, I'll tell you a story about a, um, why it's coming up in the news right now, which has to do with a young man who committed suicide in America, in Texas, because of this uh, blue whale game. So, so yes, there are teens certainly who have, in America, who have been radicalized to the point of going over to the Middle East to get married or meet this, you know, they, they, especially teen girls. It's, it's especially teen girls there, too, who... Um, uh, have terrorist guys um, telling them that they love them, that they want to marry them, and that they're going to have a wonderful life there, and they compare it to their life that they have, which is not uh, where they feel sort of ignored by, by boys in school, for example, and they wind up taking a plane <laughs> uh, to the Middle East. Um, but I'm not really, I'm talking about even just looking at the grown-ups, who, um, who become uh, domestic terrorists, they, and, and ultimately suicide bombers and, and uh, radicalized online. This is just like the, teen, the teens who are searching the internet, you know, sort of in this, in this state, in this isolated, sad, hopeless, confused kind of state where they are very, very vulnerable to to what somebody is going to suggest because they're lost 
And so whether it's someone suggesting that the person becomes a terrorist, <laughs> becomes a suicide bomber especially, or whether it's that they suggest that the team plays this game, they're, they're, they're vulnerable to it. Now, you know, well, these days, going back to the teens, teens are more lost than ever. Not only are they having personal crises from bullies to their parents being uh, in the middle of a divorce and, and possibly a custody battle, to crises in society like financial unrest and especially terrorism. Um, they're not getting, or they feel they're not getting enough love, and they usually are not getting enough, well, certainly not enough for them, getting enough attention and love from their parents. It's especially girls whose fathers aren't in the home are especially vulnerable to a guy over the internet who contacts them daily for 50 days, tell, even if the, the guy is telling them to do horrible things like commit suicide and threaten them that if they don't go along with this game, they're going to find them. The people who run the game are going to find them and do something awful to them. So there are 50 tasks and the last task is suicide. But by the time they get to this last task, they have been brainwashed into believing that they want to kill themselves, you know, and, and um, he actually looked on the internet for people who seemed like they might want to kill themselves or that they might be certainly vulnerable to this suggestion. So they might have been sort of thinking about it, tossing it around, but not really having an active plan until they went through this blue whale game. And then um, at the end, the 50th task of suicide, they, they feel that they should kill themselves because there's a better life waiting for them on the other side because that's part of what the game does, to, you know, tells them that. Or also the reason why they kill themselves at the 50th task is because they're going to be tracked down and they're going to meet a more horrible fate if they don't commit suicide and they terrify these teens. So how do these administrators of the game get so much control over the teens' minds? They use really sophisticated psychological strategies. First of all, in what I was saying, they choose their victims on the internet from social media groups and uh, Instagram and you know, different, the different networks on the, on the media, and they, they target certain teens. And they make them believe that if they are chosen for this game, they're special. So it makes the kids, the teens want to join, you know, want to be picked. And then uh, they keep them hooked for the 50 days. Uh, during the other tasks along the, you know, before the final task um, are things like making them cut symbols into their body, like with razor blades and showing the administrator of the game that they have done this. They have to take pictures, photographs, or videos um, for the different tasks to prove that they have done it before they can go to the next task. And since they've been made to believe that being in this group is a, a select group, you know, is something special, then um, they want to keep going along. They want to keep showing the proof and so on. In fact, there's a story about a, a journalist who uh, who wanted to find out more about the Blue Whale game. And so he or she tried to show that they did the first task, the cutting of this symbol into the arm. And they, but what they, they didn't actually cut it in their arm. So what they did was they Photoshopped it 
and the administrator of the game was able to tell that this was just Photoshop and they cut the person off. So other things that they do with the last half of these 50 tasks, they make them wake up at 4.20 in the morning. And they do this and they show them videos and horror movies, scenes of destruction, other teens committing suicide, the animals being tortured. They make it seem like the world is going to hell. And they get them exhausted, working, waking up at 4.20 in the morning for days upon days upon days um, makes the team exhausted. And that is part of their plot because, you know, if you're, if you're sleep deprived, um, you are more vulnerable to what somebody is telling you to do. These are like, you know, classic brainwashing techniques. So some of the, you know, this, this story that I was telling you about the, uh, the, the teen in Texas, how it's come to um, be noticed in America, uh, I've been asked to quote, to be, I've been quoted about this in a number of media outlets. Um, it, it, there's a, there was a, a little boy, well, he wasn't, let's see, he was 15, and he named Isaiah Gonzalez, and he was found by his father hanging in a closet on July 8th in their home, and um, there was a cell phone nearby near his body, that Isaiah was using to broadcast his death. So in other words, to prove <laughs> to the administrators that indeed he had done task number 50 and he committed suicide. Now, his parents are saying that his son showed no warning signs of sadness or depression. Well, you know, this is, a, this is really, this shows you how much more parents have to pay attention because clearly um, he was sad and depressed, even though he might have been smiling on the outside. Uh, now, it's, so it's either the family in denial, how many problems he had. I mean, and you know, remember, this is going on for 50 days. So what, they didn't realize he was waking up at 4.20 in the morning for like half of the, the last half of those days? Um, now, he, he, his, he came from a military family. He had dreams of enlisting in the military, so it's really sad. But clearly, he was uh, confused. You know, his father is saying that he said, to, I think to him it was a joke. It wasn't him trying to commit suicide. I don't see him doing that. Now, that's the, that's the problem, that parents don't want to believe or don't want to see um, things that... Uh, that are going on that, you know, nobody would want, would want to believe that their child may be planning to commit suicide. But this is why parents have to find out a lot more, talk to their kids a lot more and find out, you know, this is, this is one of the reasons why it's a tragedy when the family dinner um, is no longer a ritual because at family dinner time, that's when parents... <laughs> used to and should still be talking to kids all ages about their day and finding out what's going on. And maybe this kid was showing his parents that he was fine. Um, but meanwhile, maybe he was being bullied at school or maybe he had a girlfriend who broke up with him or, you know, other things that the parents didn't know about. So it really, you know, and some parents think that um, if their teen 
because teens tend to say, oh, I don't need you to be, to go with me, or they seem, act like they're going to be embarrassed if the parent is going to be around them or some, something. But you really still have to not pay attention to that and spend more time with your teens, um, particularly keeping watch over what a teen does on the internet, because there's all kinds of trouble they can get into, um, not, just, uh, not just the blue whale, although this is certainly uh, the certainly an extreme, the extreme. And then, of course, it's important for parents to provide a lot of interesting opportunities for their kids and their teens, uh, team sports, theater clubs, all kinds of things, so that teens don't have time to sit at their computer for hours or on their phone for hours, searching, searching, because they're so lost. And some of the warning signs are if a teen has cuts or symbolic designs on their body, you know, there is a thing, a psychological phenomenon, psychiatric phenomenon called cutting, which um, where teens, it's typically teens, um, use razor blades to cut their arms and their legs or their abdomen to, to inflict, because they're, they're feeling so much emotional pain that they say that when they cut with a razor, it's a, it's, they do it to feel release of their emotional pain. But of course, it doesn't really work. It may seem that way for two seconds, but it's not the solution. Then also, of course, if, you're, if a teen is waking up for days at 4.20 or some other early time in the morning, you, you know, you'd think that you'd go into their room and find out what they're doing. Uh, then also, these teens would have increasing isolation and secrecy. And they might also be in a zombie or trance-like state between being um, sleep-deprived and being brainwashed, mesmerized by the blue whale game. So, um, so what is the solution for all of this? Well, now, I know what you're thinking, that I have a book coming out. Uh, it's going to come out before the, this year's anniversary of 9-11. And it's called Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. And it's not that I am talking about this, about kids, the impact of terrorism on kids, because my book is coming out. It's my book is coming out because I have long realized that there is this major problem with uh, children and teens facing terrorism and being totally confused and lost and feeling hopeless that they're growing up in a world that is so chaotic. They have seen, regardless of their age, they have certainly teens, but even little kids have seen pictures of this. They may not understand what it's all about because, and they don't understand if parents don't sit them down and talk to them about it. Um, it just shows that there needs to be a way of making children and teens, children of all ages, feel comfortable and feel powerful, feel more resilient to what is going on in the world. Try, just hiding this, which is what parents do. You know, I've been um, over the last, well, year or so, I've been writing this book for the last two years. Um, but over this time, especially more recently, it's, as it's about to come out, I've been asking parents 
who have children of all ages. Have you talked to your children about terrorism? And so far, everyone I have asked have looked sheepish. They all have the same reaction. They look sheepish, you know, and, and like they know they should have been talking to their child about terrorism, but they'll say things like, well, you know, I don't want to, um, I know I should, but um, I don't really want to tell them about these horrible things that are going on in the world. And then when I say, well, um, it's better that they hear it from you and that they know the truth or something about it. And of course the truth, it depends on how old the child is as to how much truth you tell them at one sitting, but you, um, but you do need to, t to tell them what terrorism is all about in bite-sized pieces and in a way that doesn't scare the pants off of them and, and is appropriate for their emotional age and their chronological age. And so, uh, so people say, yes, I know, I know. So that's what the, my book is doing. It's providing a way. It's like, you know, this is the talk of the 21st century. Uh, not only is there the birds and the bees talk that parents have to have with kids, but it's the talk about terrorism. So it's problems like this, like, like teens falling victim to the blue whale, that make it all the more urgent and imperative for parents to have these talks with their kids so that the, the kids don't feel like they're lost and like they're confused and like they, because they've gotten all kinds of other messages from um, kids at school who might be trying to frighten them, you know, and feel superior and all that kind of stuff. They need to hear the truth um, in the uh, bite-sized pieces, depending on their age, um, that they can handle so that these kinds of things don't happen. Well, uh, let me tell you, remind you, first of all, about how you can find out more um, about, about, well, first of all, where you can write to me. I didn't have a, a letter this time because there was a lot to talk about, and I wanted to get it all in because those are really urgent, dangerous things that I talked about today. Um, so, but I do want to remind you of where you can go if you would like to send me letters or emails or, you know, um, first would be my, my website, which is uh, terroristtherapist.com. And then also Facebook. If you put in the terrorist therapist on Facebook, you will come to my terrorist therapist uh, page. And, um, and please do write to me, tell me, you know, give me your comments on anything about the show or about terrorism in general, uh, questions and what you would like me to talk about in, on future podcasts. So thank you. You've been listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show and I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. <laughs>